Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with Val Hughes of the Value Guys. I'm a 30-year Wall Street veteran that's gone underground, taken on a secret identity, changed my voice, moved to another town in order to continue to bring you my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen me on TV, you've seen me quoted in the news, but my bosses would never allow my unfiltered views on the air, so I've disguised my voice and they'll never know. Uh, this week we look at the April 2nd, 2010 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, and I'm uh, thrilled because that was uh, that's today. So I'm actually doing the show on the day that the uh, is on the Value Line, and that's been rare. So... Um, before we get to that, a couple of caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only, and that's not a guarantee. Uh, also, I have a lot of conflicts of interest, or may, may have some, including um, that um, you know I may be uh, uninformed, which is often the case, almost always. Uh, also, I may have um, relationships with uh, the management teams of the stocks I talk about that could somehow influence my uh, recommendations. Uh, I might be taking the opposite position that I'm recommending on the show. And finally, this is most important, um, I'm oftentimes drinking and sometimes heavily. It's after work, after hours, and uh, it's just a hobby. I'm just reading Value Line like I have for 25 years, and I'm recording it. Um, and so, let's see, what else do I have? Please see all my caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. Um, okay, so I want to just get into some stocks here today. I don't particularly have a rant, and why? Because, uh, usually I, I've been coming up with something. Well, the markets have just been too good. I'm, uh, looking here, I'm, I'm actually... I'm actually in my own office today. I'm in the city, a city. I'm in a city. And um, my wife's actually downtown today, too, and she's uh, doing some stuff, and I'm in here. We're closed because of the holiday. And so I think uh, I've been doing the show five years, and I've never done the show from my own office. So uh, quite an exciting day for Val here on The Value Guys. And that also means I've got... Uh, like information actually here in front of me, whereas I'm usually doing this in the library or somewhere, and all I have is my value line and, uh, you know, my phone. Um, one listener pointed out that I'm always talking about not having a calculator. He pointed out that I could have a calculator on my phone. So, yeah, I know that. I know that. I just I don't like to have to calculate um, after hours, but... Uh, right now, I've got my whole toolkit right here, which I'm also I'm not going to use, just so you know. I'd have to start flipping all kinds of switches on and stuff, and much of which I'm not even sure how it works. So uh, what's my rant this week? It's a very soft rant. It's not even a real rant. It's sort of like, um, look, value investors, it's been an amazing period here. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe amazing is too strong. But... Um, you know, year over year since March uh, 31st of 2009 through March 31st of 2010, um, the Russell value, and I'm just going to, yeah, wow, I've got a 
Got a computer here. It's amazing. Um, the Russell 2000 value has been up 65%. And um, the, uh, the S&P 500 has been up nearly 50 And so I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, the only way you got in on this, uh, because much of it was done in the first couple months, uh, but it's continued, and we've had a nice strong rally here since the end of the year and actually since late January. Um, but the only way to get in on this is to be in. And so, um, you know, I think this is a case where if you, you know, if you, if you did your homework, had a long-term view, then, um, you know, you've enjoyed this rally. Of course, you also enjoyed the other side of it, which I'm conveniently not putting on the chart. I'm just doing one year. Uh, if I did, if I did three years, oh wow! You know, we're still not near the old peaks, so I'm going to take that right off the screen. That's depressing me, and it's a day off, so I don't want any of that. So let's get back one year. Been a great period, and of course, um, that means that uh, a year ago, stocks we thought could maybe triple. Uh, in you know, in a recovery and uh, w with some uh, easing of concern about the debt or the ability to get credit, um, you know, some of these leveraged stocks really have had a great run, and we've talked about some of them on the show. But I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just looking up at, at Domino's and uh, Patriot Coal, CBS, things like that. That you know, a year ago people feared that they would never you know, be able to pay the debt that was due sometimes two or three years in the future. So uh, there's a lot of fear. And so you can start to see the uh, the price of fear. If you satisfied your fear and, you know, became very comfortable at the time, so there's a price for that, your comfort. You know, it's like the cost of air conditioning or the summer heat in the winter. I mean, you want to be comfortable. And I know myself – if I'm somewhere and the air conditioning's not working, I mean, I'm checking out and I'm finding air conditioning. Um, and, uh, and so maybe people feel a bit that way about the stock market. So last March, if you wanted to be in a comfortable room, you had to be out of stocks. I mean, let's face it, you had to go into, you couldn't even be in, uh, you know, in, in government uh, debt in some cases. Um, and there was some fear. But let's say that's what you did or went to cash or whatever you did. Well, now you see what the cost was. The cost was, um, you know, a 60% interest rate. And that's almost a loan shark type of uh, returns. So, again, I don't know. Let's say you need a loan. you got to get some money. And a guy says, look, uh, I know you have no credit and all that. You need the money right now. I'm going to charge you 50%. For one year, well, you'd think that was a robbery. Whereas here, we've had an entire market that's uh, charged people 50% for comfort a year ago, and basically people charging that themselves by selling. And so it's an interesting period to study because it's so rare over time, and uh, you can really start to get a sense of what does it cost, what are the human emotions uh, and, you know, this behavioral finance, I think, is a, is a key area to study. What do humans – what are humans willing to pay to be comfortable? And so here you have it. Um, if they're in small caps, they're willing to pay, and they get out, they're willing to pay 65 percent. 
And if they're in the market, last March they were willing to pay 50%. They may not have known they were willing to pay that, but it turns out they were. And uh, that's my, uh, is that a rant? It's not a rant whatsoever, but that's my observation because I actually have a chart up here today and I'm looking at it. Um, what have you? Let's get to some stocks. Uh, I've got three names this week. Uh, for you longtime listeners, you're conveniently noticing that I've sort of skipped over the March 19th edition, skipped over the March 26th edition. And listen, I, uh, I apologize. You know, I've been doing a lot of traveling, been a bit neglectful. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Disneyland. I thought of actually trying to do a live show from Disneyland. Uh, which, you know, at least I was thinking about the show. I didn't actually do that. Um, and so, uh, you know, here I am. I'm two weeks. I'm getting caught up. You know, maybe I'll go back and do those sometime or fill in. But anyway, it's April 2nd, 2010, and I'm doing the April 2nd, 2010 show. I'm so excited. First up, uh, Dixie Group, D-X-Y-N, page... Uh, 1143 this week's edition. Um, Dixie Group is a high-end carpet manufacturer. Uh, I've met management here. I've gone through the whole, most of this week's issue. And, of course, with the market up 65% or uh, the quarter just ended, you know, the Russell 2000 value is up 10% for the quarter. That's a pretty good return. Obviously, 40% compounded, et cetera, which it's not going to do that, in my opinion. But a uh, good quarter. So a lot of stocks have jumped a lot off those lows, including this one. You could have bought this stock back in March sometime last year for $0.80, cents, and now it's at 420 So admittedly, it's up a lot. But uh, back in uh, 05, it was at 20 and the fundamentals here uh, you know, suggest that it could get back to that because they, I don't think, have particularly lost market share. The markets that they're in have uh, you know been obviously very weak when you're selling high-end product and uh, and it goes in a house <laughs> you know you've had trouble let's face it and they didn't have a maintenance business I don't believe they had a carpet cleaning business or carpet you know whatever uh, vacuuming business to offset the loss of new business unlike other f firms that might sell new product but then they also get the maintenance agreements I don't believe they're doing that here um, these guys, they, they make the best carpet available, not just for residential, but for offices. And it's the type of carpet that when you get into tough times and your sales and your income start to go down, it's the kind of thing where you could say, whoa, maybe we better not do that. And that's exactly what happened here. Uh, sales, you know, were kind of chugging along. Um, there was something very big that happened in 2002 and it has to be the sale of a division or something because sales went from uh, $500 million to $200 million. And, you know, if, if I just it's too big a break to be uh, a recessionary issue. So something happened then that, you know, I don't know, honestly. But since that time, um, you know, this thing's kind of been chugging along. Their peak sales were 330 Now they're at, you know, 200 So they're down a lot. And that's just a lot of, uh, you know, new time business, obviously, um, high-end customers who had huge hits to their net worth because their assets, their home, uh, their equity portfolio 
getting crushed. Well, right now we're in a period, obviously, the Russell 2000, S&P up 50, 60 percent. Um, you know, uh, real estate has not yet recovered, but real estate tends to be lagging to these other elements because you can't pay more for your real estate till your liquid assets move up if you're in stocks or wherever the bulk of your wealth is. Um, and so I think we're going to have that happen here. Luxury goods are beginning to show a little life. Obviously, this thing's off the lows where people left it for, for dead. Um, and margins here, you know, collapsed um, in the 2009 period. But over the next couple of years, you know, they're going to get back to a little bit more normal. Um, luxury buyers have been restocked a little bit. Uh, officers and directors here own 13%, and I'm just, as I am with most of these stocks, I'm just initially attracted to the valuation, five times EBITDA, uh, and that's an enterprise value to EBITDA um, relationship that I might liken to some sort of cash flow yield. So in other words, and I I try to say this once a week, just we have a lot of students that listen in. And so if we buy all the stock, we've got to pay 420 a share times 13 million shares outstanding, and that's about $55 million according to Value Line. Uh, to have rights to the entire cash flow stream, I've got to own the debt too. Well, they own uh, or they have $67 million in total debt, so I'm going to add those up. That's about $120 million. Now, normally I'd subtract the cash, but they don't have any. Um, which sometimes can mean they're well run. They just don't have a lot of cash sitting around and they may have lines of credit. So if they need cash, they can get it. Why have it laying around not earning returns? So I get that. But uh, so their their enterprise value, if, it, if you will, the, the amount we have to pay to own the entire cash flow stream is about $120 million. And the, uh, the EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, is about... Uh, you know, I'm going to go to the 2011 estimate. I'm stretching a little bit here. Um, 10% of $200 million in sales. And so, you know, 120 over uh, 20, that's about six times, let's say. I said five times, but, of course, I don't have a calculator. Six times. So 1 over 6, 16.6% is the way I might look at it. If we pay 110 or 120 uh, in cash, lay that out, we get $20 million a year back. Um, that's six times as a multiple, but really what I'm interested in is what's my return. So I paid 120 I get 20 That's 16.6%. And when I look around, again, let's say I'm a wealthy individual. We get a bunch of guys together with you know $120 million, what have you, a club, if you will. Um, then you know that's a pretty good return compared to what's out there. Um, now, you just have to decide whether is how certain is that. Well, again, that's the right question. It's high-end carpet. Um, the brands they have are all the high-end brands. I mean, ask somebody who knows, because I don't, but they explain this to me. Fabrica, Maslin, Dixie Home, uh, Danube, you know, what do I know? I don't know these things. They do some factory-built home carpet, you know, and then they do uh, some... Uh, you know, more highly specialized uh, carpets and rugs even for high-end offices. It doesn't say this here, but I remember this from visiting with them. According to Value Line, one of the reasons the, uh, 
the analyst is is comfortable with these margin expansion estimates is simply that they've done a lot already to cut costs. They've lowered uh, wages. They've cut headcount 28%. So likely as they grow volume, they're not going to rehire that. They're going to just buy more machines that uh, don't get raises or health care. Um, let's see. They're, uh, they're consolidating some of their brands. They do run a lot of brands, and that could be a criticism, but it looks like they're um, economizing on management there overhead. You know, uh, according to Value Line, business remains depressed, which, you know, good, I say, because then supply-demand is still on my side, and I'm looking at the fundamentals a little bit. Now, the one thing I don't like here is when you look back over time, this company's never been able to deliver a decent return on capital. And, um, you know, I can only assume that over time what what that suggests to me is that they've got assets that they just simply need to write down. And uh, obviously, if you can't earn a decent return on those assets, you have to start questioning uh, what the value of those assets is. Now, in the financial industry, of course, that's uh, that's something they take care of right away, that whole mark-to-market rule, which just about killed the stock market, and they reversed out. Um, but the notion there is simply that the assets on the balance sheet equate to what the returns could be. And so, um, but, you know, you'd need to take a longer look than one quarter, which, you know, they've now changed the, the rule to do that. But here, you know, it looks like they've been carrying these low return assets for many years. So um, that's something they should they should fix. And, you know, maybe at some point they will. They obviously don't want to roll that through their income statement. But on the other hand, it can save taxes. It could give you a tax loss carry forward for many years. So that would be my, my negative on it. Um, but still, what I'm attracted to is, you know, a 16% return. That doesn't mean I'm going to actually get that, just so you know. Um, it means that if we bought the whole company, we would get that. But we don't really get it because we're not really buying the whole company. But what that is, is a, it's a discipline, a market discipline, because the very thought that somebody could do it um, means that ultimately somebody may. And, um, you know, if you if you go Google up uh, uh, acquisitions, you know, they're happening every day with, with uh, good credits, able to borrow cheaply, and recovery uh, not yet spreading to the earnings line of all sectors, it's a great time for well-financed companies to be making acquisitions of little companies that haven't quite turned but you know will. And the place to look is high-end brands because, um, you know, during this period, the low-end brands, they may be gaining some share at the low end, but uh, there's not a lot of profitability in, in those over time. Um, th this sort of thing has a chance to make a lot of money over a few years, and admittedly, everyone understands there's a cycle. So, um, you know, this would be exactly the time to strike, in my opinion. Um, and so I don't mind buying it, knowing that someone could look at this and earn a 16% return. And that's before they think about the synergies they might get. So depending on who the buyer is, if it's a big carpet company, um, who knows? They may be able to cut half the cost out of this thing by, you know, lower cost of goods because they've got better economies of scale. Maybe they've got even bigger factories. You know, maybe they can consolidate this whole company under a different management structure. Who knows? But if if we're looking at a 16% return, if we just bought this thing as it is, someone who could buy the whole thing, 
um, is looking at a and, and consolidate it within an existing business or distribution or something like that, uh, it would be looking at an even bigger return. So that's what I like about it. Dixie Group, DXYN, page 1143. Okay, next up, uh, Pactiv Corp, PTV. And, you know, the theme between really Dixie and Pactiv is looking for companies that haven't yet fully... Um, uh, reflected the you know better economy that's coming ahead, and um, you know this, I, in my opinion, would be one of those because what Pactiv does is they do they do packaging, and uh, they supply packaging all over the world. It's it's a commodity business, you know, it's packaging, but they've managed to put up you know mid-teens returns for a long time which is pretty darn good, and they're putting up upper teens operating margins, which means they're doing something better than other people on the cost side or on the pricing side. So it could be economies of scale and manufacturing costs. It could be proprietary elements in the product that's allowing them to get superior pricing. You know, I don't know. If their prices are competitive with other uh, suppliers and yet, they can earn a 20% margin. It probably means someone else is setting the price uh, who has a higher cost structure, and so um, that gives these guys a lot of room. You know, I don't know what the edge is, but it'd be worth uh, figuring out. I think it's probably got something to do with volumes since some of their customers are uh, people like Walmart who really aren't in the business of helping you make money. You know, they're helping them make money, and if you figure out a way to make money while helping them make money, then, yeah, good, you have a license to sell to us and stay in business. That's kind of their uh, their mantra. But these guys are doing a pretty good job, and um, and I'm attracted to it, again, on valuation. It's uh, 11, 12 times on a P.E. basis. It's 6.5 times on an enterprise value at an EBITDA basis, and that's a 14 to 15% cash-on-cash uh, cash return, as I just described uh, for Dixie. Um you know, while they're traditionally, uh, it's a commodity market, um, you know, these guys, I'm just looking through here, they keep coming up with, with new packaging, new kinds of packaging. And, you know, what I know about packaging is it's got to do a couple of things. It's got to really make sure that whatever the goods are, they get to market um, with, with full value, and, uh, and that means no damage and... Uh, you know, that's about all packaging needs to do. The other things it needs to do is, is probably help with organizations. So, you know, maybe the packaging has uh, labeling on it or uh, radio frequency technology or those kinds of things so that things can move through warehouses easily and be, uh, you know, be tracked from an accounting point of view and all that. So undoubtedly these guys have all those kinds of uh, technologies. Um, they did do a deal recently where evidently they now have packaging in um, – in some new food service and restaurant markets, so they're just uh, horizontally expanding. Um, they, uh, they, they, I guess Walmart now, and, and this was a little bit of a rub on the stock. I think a few months ago, people were worried that Walmart might drop them, which uh, it doesn't say here how big of a piece Walmart is. Um, yeah, I'm not really seeing that here, but. You know, how big could it be? What percent of packages does Walmart sell? I mean, it could be 10% or something like that, but that doesn't kill them. And if you have to walk from Walmart's business, it's probably a profitable move to do so uh, because they're 
taking your margins down to where your returns are no good. And, and so uh, if you see a big company walk from Walmart, you know, um, that tells you that Walmart doesn't always uh, drive the bus in the economy. But, um, you know, I guess these guys agreed to stay with Walmart, and they're going to be offering, um, uh, let's see, a private label trash bags um, up against, let's see, up against, uh, I don't know if they're going to have another line in the store. It may be that Walmart will begin only selling private label trash bags. That's what I'm kind of deducing here, and that uh, Pactiv will will supply them. Uh, some of the brands Pactiv has, just to put this in perspective, uh, Hefty, uh, Baggies, One Zip, Cordite, Easy Foil. They have 45 manufacturers around the manufacturing facilities, 12,000 employees, $3.5 billion in sales. It's a big company. Um, and so uh, what else do they do here? Baked goods they do. I don't know. They do. Obviously, they have a consumer business, and Value Line doesn't do me the pleasure of telling me how big that is. And they have an in industrial business as well. Um, officers and directors own 2.5% of the company. I like that. Lord Abbott owns seven. They're smart value guys. Um, and so I think what's going to happen as volumes rise uh, in the economy. Um, I don't think you're going to get a lot of price pressure on packaging guys. We're through that period. And so they should begin to enjoy um, some pricing flexibility and some economies of scale as things pick up. So when I look for stocks that could benefit from the next phase of the recovery, the reason these guys come to mind is, in part, they're still below the stock's old peak of 37. It's at 25 today. Um, sales per share and cash flow per share are actually higher than they were then. Now, so admittedly, back at that time, late 2006, people thought the economy, I think, you know, might just rise forever, never go down again. You know, people get kind of crazy like that. And, uh, and now, you know, in March of 2009 anyway, people thought that we would never have an economy again. So you can see the extremes, and it's interesting that when everyone was, uh, you know, jubilant about the future, uh, the stock was at 37. Now we're a little bit off that uh, depressed period of a year ago. Obviously, big recovery over the last year, but still well off the old highs. Um, and these guys are now selling at a big discount to what they sold at then. And why? I don't know. Their margins are higher. Their returns on capital are higher. Their sales are higher. So all I can conclude, well, also they've been using free cash to buy stock, which is just what you'd want them to do. They've been improving margin in a bad period. They've been improving returns on capital in a bad period. Now, they don't pay a dividend, but pretty soon when the tax rate changes, that's going to be a good thing. There's going to be a lot of people cutting dividends and using that money to buy stock instead because it'll be a more attractive way to uh, deliver shareholder value. But um, they've also they, they've been buying stock you know forever on this page. They had 159 million shares in 01. They have 129 million shares now. Looks like that's just part of the DNA of the company. So... Um, I like it. I think it's a little bit uh, early, and I don't know how early. It doesn't matter how early. 
and uh, the, the thought is that we're in a recovery. It's going to continue to gain some steam. Um, you know, despite the fact that I think the health care uh, law is going to harm GDP growth because you put the government in charge of more um, capital resources, and that means the returns on that capital will be lower, and that means growth is lower. So I'm a, I, I really am negative on that, and I've done past rants on that. But the thing is, elections can cure that over time. And so when the law goes in, the biggest thing that happened, I think, was near-term uncertainty was over. It wasn't good, but at least we knew what the heck was happening. So maybe the markets are relieved a little bit, not because it's good for uh, economic growth, in my opinion, but because we're getting down the road of curing some of this uncertainty. And, you know, business continues to surprise to the upside. I, you know, I, earnings uh, coming through, the beige book and such that comes through, you know, things are tending to uh, beat expectations uh, rather than uh, miss expectations. And that's just a sign of things getting better. And Pactiv, just packaging, um, to the extent that there's still some fear in this stock of, uh, of a recovery actually happening uh, or of their ability to benefit, I think that it seems clear they will benefit, and the stock has some, way, some ways to move to fully appreciate that uh, at Pactiv, page 1177, um, ticker PTV. And then finally, ladies and gentlemen, um, and I'm running out of energy, actually. So sleep-deprived lately. And I just... It's, uh, I'm going to have a little bit of a beverage, excuse me. Mm. So I hope wherever you are, you're going to enjoy the day. It's um, just supposed to be beautiful almost everywhere today. Um, okay, last idea. Jacobs Engineering Group, ticker JEC. I have talked about some of these before. Uh, KBR is one I've recommended on the show. And, you know, if you go to our homepage, www.thevalueguys.com, there's a button there for the RSS code. And if you pull that into Excel, you'll see a complete spreadsheet of uh, all the tickers we've talked about in the last four years of the show. And so I'm pretty sure that if you do that, you're going to see that at some point in the past, I don't remember exactly, we talked about KBR. And uh, it's a big engineering firm. They do a lot for the U.S. Army and people like that. But the point is this engineering sector, and they get into it in Value Line uh, this week, heavy construction industry, is filled with you know some interesting ideas because, as we've talked about on the show, in the uh, fourth quarter of 2008, Industrial production just fell off a frickin' cliff, I mean vertical. And, you know, that obviously caused a lot of panic everywhere. Um, but when you go back now and look at that, these companies were just, they just, the order books completely dried up. And, uh, and so the stocks got pretty beat up, although in the cases of Jacobs and... Uh, well, KBR and Fleur, I'm looking at all of them here, they have virtually no debt. You know, they understand the cycles in their business, and they, uh, you know, they stay, uh, stay debt-free uh, to, to deal with that. Um, now, the differences between these, KBR is a lot of defense. I've spent a lot of time today looking at Fleur because that's interesting too, but half their business is oil and gas, and um, 
you know, there's a lot of room here before we run out of capacity generally, um, although another refinery blew up in Washington, I guess, today, and that just tells you that they're running these things full out. I do like that the president has moved with some uh, expansion of offshore drilling because, um, just generally speaking, we need the oil and might as well, you know, get it ourselves. So I thought that was a great move. Um, but still, with half their business being in oil oil and gas, I think it's years before things get going, and they may be in uh, pretty heavy construction of those uh, of those facilities, so their payments are going to be spread out over you know well into the future. The thing about Jacobs that I I'm interested in is that their business is much more diversified, and it looks to me like they get involved at the design phase. So they're one of the first people to start getting paid and start getting busy, and with the industrial economy falling off a cliff, and of course new capacity expansion therefore falling off a cliff. That stuff's going to be first to come back. Asset values are rising, corporate profits are rising, uncertainty is falling. And so I think you're going to see that um, things are going to pick up uh, in the construction area. Uh, certainly some of these big infrastructure-related um, projects are going to come back. And these guys are in the front end of uh, engineering with it with a broad you know, array of industries. Energy and refining, in their case, is 35%. Uh, they do 21% government, 8% infrastructure, chemicals and polymers, 11%, oil and gas upstream, which I guess is the pipelines, 8%. They're in pharma and biotech, 8%. Industrial, another 8%. So, again, very diversified. The valuation here, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's what I'll say is okay. It's not super cheap. The stock was 26 um, on a low in you know 08 when industrial production was collapsing. The stock was collapsing, um, and right now it's at 44. So it's off a little bit or up a little bit off that. But the old high was 103 stock at 44. That's what I'm shooting for because revenues per share, which you know, must reflect capacity, and when it, you know when it reflects capacity, it means they have the sales force, they have the capability, and uh, it lies idle when the economy collapses. But when it comes back, you can be pretty sure that while there will be jockeying for market share, you know they're going to be right there. Their incremental cost to provide the next order. You know, obviously they have everything in place. It's very low versus any new entrant that wants to come in. They've got the facilities, the relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So um, <clears throat> all you have to think about is, is the economy going to come back? Have they lost their position in the marketplace? And at the level of this firm, you know, they do $10 billion in sales. Floor does $22 billion. KBR does $10 billion. You know, no startup's going to start edging their way you know, in here. So uh, I like that. Um, enterprise value to EBITDA on this one is seven times. So if we bought the whole company stock and debt and then uh, earned the, you know, the, the free cash flow off of that before capital spending or working capital, um, call that operating cash flow maybe, then, you know, we'd earn, uh, uh, we'd earn one over seven, which is, um, you know, about 14%. And again, in an environment where it's hard to earn that at the at at, at any sort of uh, you know bank or bond, um, this is a public company, and so you know that's a pretty decent cash on cash return. 
Uh, the company is uh, historically pretty profitable. Again, they have no debt, so their return on capital is their return on equity uh, for the most part. And that's been running in the low teens. It's depressed last year and this year. Obviously, business is down. Um, but um, my suspicion is is that they will get back to that over time. Officers and directors own 5%, so they're involved here as well. Uh, according to Value Line, you know, there are some signs of things starting to percolate a little bit. Bidding activity is up. Um, let's see, the backlog was down a little bit, but, you know, maybe that helps keep the stock in check. Let's see, the rate of cancellations is down, so that's very good. Billable hours are up slightly, that's good. And uh, let's see. According to value line, these shares are not timely. Okay, well, good. I like hearing that. Again, that means that to the extent that there's a fundamental component of owning stocks and then there's a supply and demand component since we don't actually own the businesses. I mean, it's worth making the point. If we actually own this and bought all the stock in debt, we could care less about the stock price because there'd be no stock price. And we could also care less about the supply and demand for the stock because we'd own all the stock. So all of a sudden, our ability to earn a return is entirely based on our ability to run the company and compete and keep our costs low and have our sales force great and make products that are, uh, to quote one of my favorite uh, guys, insanely great. So... Um, you know, that's what we'd be doing. But as public stockholders, we look at that, and frankly, I get a lot of conviction from the decision in the same way that a, you know, a private investor would buying a company. But then I got to step back and say, well, okay, wait a minute. I'm not really buying the company. And now I'm also looking at the supply and demand for the stock. And that's what really drives the stock price. Maybe I should have mentioned this in the past. I know we spend a lot of time talking about fundamentals here on the show. But ultimately, why a stock goes up is because a bunch of people believe that it's worth more. And why it goes down is a bunch of people believe that it's worth less. The fundamentals and the underlying value of the company is really just uh, great fodder for uh, a discussion with an investor as to why should they buy the stock. Well, look, because it's so valuable. The only people that really are ever going to earn the returns we're talking about here are the people that go and buy the whole company, and the rest of us are sort of debating when that might happen or if it will happen. Now, the value uh, approach, I think, gives a great advantage in this in that if the true fundamental value is ever actually going to be realized, it needs to be realized by somebody buying the company and paying that price to me as a stockholder. And I have no idea when that might happen. So as a result, um, I have to have a lot of patience. Growth guys, they don't tend to be quite as patient because there's a lots of up and downs and you know different sentiment over the period. So ultimately... Um, Supply and demand is going to drive the near-term um, return as a shareholder. And so when I read the stocks are not timely, to me that suggests that uh, there's a short, you know, small supply of, uh, you know, potential buyers, a bigger supply of potential sellers. And as a buyer, you know, I like that, obviously. Um, so Jacobs Engineering, JEC, um, 
I might not have spent as much time on that as I should have, but what have you. Uh, page 1233, and uh, let me see here. i got to pick a favorite. Um, also, I want to say, um, Phil wrote in. He had a great idea for doing sort of a value investing teach-in. And I've also had uh, our friend Andre um, uh, internationally uh, look look at doing something like that. So, you know, I am kind of working on something there. I I think that's a, a good idea, and so we'll, we'll have to get back to that another time. Meantime, best stock idea for the day is going to be... Uh, I think uh, Dixie Group, D-X-Y-N. It just looks like something good's going to happen there, page 1143. And that's all I have this week, values of the value, guys. Uh, see all of our past shows and details at www.thevalueguys.com. And thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good day.